This is a recap of obedience and authority. This is from unit two of behavior and discipline, and this is the exam unit. First of all, we wanna ask what is obedience? Obedience is compliance with an order, request, law, or submission to another's authority. And that's according to Oxford Dictionary from 2007. You can also describe it as a behavior change brought about by the commands of authority. Obedience is a type of social influence that requires an individual to perform a task under the instructions of an authority figure. Now, the term authority has come up quite a lot and we will go into look at authority later on in this video. Conscious obedience is the understanding of what is being asked of you and following that order. It is following a lawful order. So how does this obedience feature in the Uniform Protective Services? Well, the first one is rank structure. We know that we need to be obedient to uh, members of the services who are in a higher rank than we are. And we need to understand that we have authority over people of a low rank. The uniform, uniform meaning one way, that we all are dressed similarly or in the same way to regulations. Drill moving as one unit, understanding the, the roles and responsibilities and basic training, understanding what my responsibilities are as a member of the Uniform Protective Services, understanding the difference between a lawful order and an unlawful order. And that commands take precedence over what the individual wants. That when we're asked to go, for example, go out on patrol, it's raining, it's wet, it's cold, it's dark outside. I don't, may not necessarily want to go out on patrol, but the order is to go out on patrol and that needs to get done because the commands take precedence over what an individual wants. And finally, obedience features in how we are set up as uniform protective services through codes of conduct for the police, ambulance, fire, and then through the Armed Forces Act for the Armed Forces. And those laws, the uh, those codes of conduct and Armed Forces Act, these play a role in whether or not we know if it is a lawful order or an unlawful order. And blind obedience comes about when uh, the public services um, are run in the wrong hands and it can be used as a weapon for destruction as opposed to a weapon to or a means of upholding the peace. Soldiers particularly are given extensive training on how to follow lawful orders where most people wouldn't. The decision to um, discharge your weapon is a massive decision that has to be taken with great care. So it's important that they understand what is lawful and what is unlawful. Blind obedience is when an unlawful order is carried out simply because a person in a position of authority requested that that be done. In just four and a half years, Nazi Germany systematically murdered at least 1.1 million people at Auschwitz, just that one camp. Almost one million of these were Jewish. Those deported to the camp complex were gassed, starved, worked to death, and even killed in medical experiments. Six million Jewish people died in the Holocaust. The Nazi campaign was to eradicate Europe's Jewish population, and Auschwitz was at the center of this genocide. So why did these soldiers do it? Why did they blindly follow these orders? They, they must have known it was wrong. And it all came to a head when this man here, Adolf Eichmann, was upon trial. Adolf Eichmann was a German Nazi SS lieutenant colonel. 
and one of the major organizers of the Holocaust. He was found guilty of war crimes and executed by hanging in 1962. His defense at the trial was that he was simply following orders. It wasn't his fault, he was just doing as he was told. He said, I was one of many horses pulling the wagon and couldn't escape left or right because of the will of the driver. Obeying an order was the most important thing to me, he said. It could be that it is the nature of the German. He said that all of the atrocities that he organized and committed, it wasn't his fault. It's because somebody else in a position of authority told him to do it. And he in turn told other people to do it. This then led on to Stanley Milgram's obedience research. Milgram carried out his investigation having just watched the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who said that it had nothing to do with him, he was only following orders. After the trial, Milgram wanted to find out just how influential was pressure to obey an authority figure and how far would people go. So we set up this experiment. Milgram's experiment involved participants who responded to a newspaper advert. Milgram used a shock generator to uh, start at 30 volts and increased in 15 volt increments all the way up to 450 volts. The increments were labeled because in case people didn't understand just how much electricity that was, it was labeled as uh, slight shock, moderate shock, danger, severe shock, and the final two labels were XXX, as in death. The participants were all given a role of the teacher, even though they thought it was at random. And they were tasked with delivering shocks every time a student gave an incorrect answer. The learner in this instance was an actor and was not actually getting shocked. During the experiment, the student, or the actor, would beg to be released, complain about having a medical condition, saying they had a heart problem. At 300 volts, they would begin banging on the wall. And after this, they would go completely silent. No more answers, no more begging, no more complaining, no noise whatsoever. Most teachers would ask the experimenter if they should continue or not. And the experimenter would only give a few responses. Number one, please continue. Two, the experiment requires that you continue. Three, it's absolutely essential that you continue. And four, you have no other choice, you must go on. So the results that Stanley Milgram had from this research were not as expected. Milgram used the experiment to measure how obedient a teacher would be and wanted to see the level of shock that they were willing to deliver because somebody in a white lab coat told them they must continue. 65% of participants delivered the maximum shock, enough to kill somebody. Even though the participants became angry or agitated with the experimenter, they continued to follow these orders. Some of them started to laugh hysterically. Some of them started to cry. Some of them started to become visibly distressed. But 65% of them, over half of the people, continued to the maximum shock. Milgram conducted many more variations of this experiment. He also found out that obedience rates decreased when the learner was in the same room as the experimenter. So when we were able to physically see the harm that we were doing to them, the obedience rate decreased. The original experiment, they weren't in the same room. They were in separate rooms, so they couldn't see the harm that was being done. 
Obedience rates declined even further when the teacher had to physically put the learner's hand and administer the punishment themselves. Before it was just a button and the other person in the different room, it decreased a lot more when they had to physically cause the harm themselves. And participants were less likely to continue the procedure after seeing other teachers refusing to do so also. So if I'm in a room and somebody else is refusing to continue, I'm more likely to refuse to continue also. Participants were also significantly less obedient when instructions to continue came from a person that they believed was also a participant rather than somebody in a position of authority. And the closer the teacher was to the learner, the lower the level of obedience. So again, if they were completely in a different room, no problem. But when we put the teacher and the learner close together and they were, they could see the amount of pain that that person was in, the obedience levels dropped again. And also the proximity of the authority figure had a massive impact. When the authority figure was close to the, to the uh, teacher, obedience increased. When the authority figure was away from the teacher or even in a different room, obedience decreased so Darren Brown done a show where he's trying to get people to commit a bank heist and he wanted to find people who would be obedient to his instructions and he conducted this experiment again and found very similar results to what Stanley Milgram did to watch this video go to PowerPoint 3.2 on teams more recently, Jerry Berger tried to replicate the Stanley Milgram experiment to see if, again, in a modern day setting, would we see the same results. So Berger believed that Milgram's response re results were important in helping society understand how those involved in atrocities, such as the Holocaust and Abu Ghraib, how these happen. He wished to repeat the experiment to test if in modern day society, if our morality had changed and if we were more likely to stand up to somebody in a position of authority. When he was conducting his experiment, he did change the amount of uh, voltage down to 150. So it's not a like for like comparison. But some of the criticisms of the Stanley Milgram experiment was that people were being psychologically harmed because they believed they would have killed somebody. They believed that they would have gone the whole way. So, he, so Jerry Berger decided to reduce it down to 150, so taking away the uh, likelihood of killing somebody, but still, would people still harm somebody based on the instructions of somebody else? The results of the new experiment revealed that participants were just as likely to obey in this research study as the original Stanley Milgram. Next is Hoffling's nurses. So again, we're talking about obedience here and following obedience. Hoffling's aim was to create a more realistic study of obedience than Milgram by carrying out a field study on nurses who were unaware that they were involved in the experiment. With Milgram, it was based in a university. Uh, people who are in a position of authority wearing white coats, the knowledge of university, the awe of being at a university may have played a part. And it was lab-based. Hoffling wanted to put it into the real world. Would people act differently if they were doing it in the real world? Nurses in the hospital were given orders from a doctor over a telephone to administer a dose of medication over the maximum allowed. The nurses were then watched to see what they would do. The medication was now real and it was just placed in the medicine cabinet and the nurses would then go and see if they would take it. 
21 out of the 22 nurses were easily influenced into carrying out disorder. They were not supposed to take instructions over the phone, let alone exceed the allowed dose. So on the side of the bottle it said what the maximum dose should be, the doctor or the fake doctor on the call told them to give more than that. And 21 out of 22 would have. When other nurses were asked would they do this in a similar situation, nearly all of them said that they would have not complied. But yet this goes against what we have experienced. 21 out of 22 nurses were easily influenced to carry out that order. Hoffling had demonstrated that people are very unwilling to question authority even if they might have a good reason to do so. Now this was done in 1966 and nursing today has evolved a lot and the specialism has gone become a lot more intense and a lot more highly qualified. So again they would have a better understanding of the requirements for giving a medication. Today hopefully this would not take place but we have evidence of it happening in other settings. This is a video, you can watch it on PowerPoint 3.2 on Teams, and it goes through how some managers at fast food uh, establishments in America were talked into uh, abusing some of their staff on the phone call from a random person who claimed he was a police officer. He called up these places, claimed he was a police officer, and said that one of their employees had been involved in a crime and that they were to detain them. Then he would say that they couldn't get a police officer there soon, so they had to search the person before they got rid of any evidence. And he would keep escalating right up to the point of instance of sexual abuse. So again, taking order over the phone simply because they believed the other person was in a position of authority. So what impact does obedience and disobedience have on us? So the impact of obedient behavior would be things like extrinsic reward, praise, respect, medals, extended leave, extra time off, promotion, pay rise. These are all things that we can get from demonstrating that we can be obedient at the right times. Remember, we are trying to have conscious obedience, not blind obedience. Conscious obedience is following lawful orders intentionally. Blind obedience is following orders regardless of the consequences. But extrinsic is things that we can get from following those orders. But we also have intrinsic rewards, things that aren't tangible. There are things that we feel, such as pride, satisfaction in doing a good job, having good team spirit and morale, and having trust in one another and people having trust in you. So these are intrinsic rewards that we can get. We can't hold them, we can't feel them. However, the consequence of disobedient behavior could be loss of rank, a reduction in pay, suspension, loss of job and any of these could happen because we are not following orders again i have to stress this is the following of lawful orders if an order has been given to, given to me and falls within the my remit and it is lawful to do i must do it otherwise some of these consequences may happen to me some key vocabulary for obedience would be obedience is following an order or request Blind obedience is following an order or request without regard for the consequences or the outcomes of following that order. Compliance is when an individual change uh, is when an individual change their behavior because they are requested to do so. So I'm, I'm asked to change where I'm acting. If I'm complying, I'm doing as I'm told. Authority figure is a person. Um, whose command over others inspires or demands obedience. So it could be that we look up to people in a position of authority or we fear people who are in a position of authority. And we'll look at authority in a second. 
Extrinsic reward is a tangible, visible reward given to an individual for achieving something. And intrinsic reward is intangible, psychological rewards that you get from a job well done. Next is authority. So authority is like when we talked about discipline in general, it can have lots of different meanings. The meaning of authority is depending on the context in which it's used. For example, it's the power to enforce obedience, the power to delegate uh, the tasks to other people, a person whose opinion is accepted simply because of their expertise. They know more than we do. The structure of authority is when you join a service, you will be answerable to people in a rank higher authority than yourself. This means that you will need to obey orders from these people, again, as long as they are lawful. However, no uniform service is above the law, and there are multiple laws by means which uh, if we infringe on somebody's rights, if we go against what is right for the public, we are also breaking the law. And bodies have been set up to make sure that we are being held accountable and we are not breaking these laws for no reason. So the Independent Office of Police Conduct, the HM Chief Inspector of the Prisons, make sure that we are treating people in prison in relation to their human rights and the HM Inspector of the Constabulary and the Fire and Rescue to make sure that we are using the public resources as it should be used and we are not wasting money. So the nature of authority, and we can sort of break the nature of authority into four key elements. Power, position, status, and influence. First is power. Power is a number of different meanings, again, depending on the context. It might refer to the size or strength of someone's military, how much power they have to, or to um, fight us. It can refer to a person's position in terms of they are higher rank than I am. It can refer to somebody's capabilities. For example, a police officer has the power of arrest. They have power over me. They can take away my individual liberty. But Raven has identified six bases of power where power comes from and this was back in 1965 first is reward power if someone is able to give us benefits or rewards they have power over us for example your employer who's going to pay you they have the ability to um they have power over us because they can give us those rewards next is coercive power and that's the fear of sanctions that if we are afraid that somebody will sanction us they will punish us they will write us up they will tell us off that also has power over us Three is informational power. All the information says what to do. They have all the information that we need. So we will listen to them because they know what they're talking about. Next is expert power. The person has far greater knowledge than us. They know what to do. Not just the information, because anybody can have information, but experts have greater knowledge. They know how to use that information better. Five is legitimate power. The person is authorized to tell us what to do. A police officer carries a warrant card. That warrant card gives that person the right to tell me what to do if I'm breaking the law. Six is revenant power. If we are attracted to or we respect somebody, that will also give them power over us. And we're more likely to listen to these people, even if we're just attracted to them. So that's power. On to position. This is again linked to power. It's generally agreed that a person in a higher rank has more authority over those in lower ranks. Again, links to situation. A principal would have authority over me as a teacher. A teacher would have authority over students, but also parents would have authority over their own, their own children. On status, allowing others to know how much authority somebody has would be based on their status. 
So experts should know more than us. So if somebody is an expert, they have that status, which gives them power over me, or sorry, gives them authority over me. People with titles would indicate whether or not they're experts or have more authority, such as sir, madam, lord, doctor, etc. People in uniforms, again, look going back to Stanley Milgram's experiment, wearing a uniform can have a massive impact. So police, doctors, uh, even a business suit can make somebody believe that you're in a position of authority. Or if somebody came up to you in a building and said, here's some drugs, take these, you probably question it. But if somebody in a white lab coat in a, in a hospital comes up to you and says, these will help make you better, you're more likely to take it. So being in that doctor's uniform gives you authority. And again, people with power. So the status of somebody, for example, an armed, armed response officer, they have power because of that status that they hold in society. We don't have very many of them, so they are, play a special role in society. And finally, influence. So influence is different to power because while power looks to assert force over people to make them do what we want, influence persuades people to comply with, with authority. For example, a person accepts somebody in position of authority simply because they have a title doctor, whereas social influencers like uh, David Beckham and Cara Delevingne with over 40 million follows each, when they say something, people react. Example could be, again, Ronaldo picking up a, a bottle of Coca-Cola and saying to not drink it. It cost Coca-Cola millions in terms of their share value because one person said that people should drink water instead. So that's power, position, status, and influence. And finally, types of authority. So when you are in a position of authority, you will normally follow four types. First one is authoritarian or autocratic. This style is they tell people what to do and just expect them to do it. No arguments, no discussions, just do it. Next is dictatorial. Carried out without the consent of people with whom it affects. The leader rules by intimidation and fear and they must remain in power. Everything is you must do it this way, no questions asked. Whereas authoritarian or autocratic, you are still expected to do. So again, if I'm uh, on, if I'm working with recruits in the armed forces and the first time I give that recruit a weapon, I'm gonna take an authoritarian or autocratic style. There's no discussion about where you should point that rifle. You need to point exactly where I tell you and only fire it when I tell you. Whereas dictatorial would be you must fire the rifle regardless if you want to or not. It's got nothing to do with how you feel or if you want to even be in the service, you must do it as, as you've been told. Consultative shares the ideas and listens to other uh, to problems, but still solely makes the decision for themselves. So I'm going to ask people, but I'm still making the final decision. And finally, participative allows one or more employees to be involved in the, in the decision-making process. And this is also sometimes referred to as the democratic style, or sorry, democratic type of authority. Now, these can easily be confused with the leadership style, such as task-oriented or people-oriented or laissez-faire. So make sure that we're talking about authority types, autocratic, dictatorial, consultative, participative, and not the leadership styles, which you are looking at in a different unit.